The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I still live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. King, we bow before you now as your people. We bow our hearts, we bow our lives, and we submit to you the worship and praise and honor and adoration that you are due today. We praise you, Lord, for giving us this day to be able to lay aside our worldly cares and to focus all of our hearts, our attention, and our minds, and our spirits in worshiping you. And we pray, Lord, by your Spirit that you would be pleased to be with us And that all we say and do today will bring glory to you. That the attention of this service would be upon you and upon your greatness and the love of Jesus that you have poured out in our hearts. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together now as your people. And we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. If you'd like to look at it, it's on page 845 in the green hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance of pardon from the book of Romans chapter 5. You who look to the Lord by faith, be comforted in these words. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Turn in your hymnal to number 53 as we sing together, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
and the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. Thank you, Titus. I appreciate it. Well, I've got a question for you. Have you ever been working on something that's really hard or maybe trying something new and it's really hard and maybe you thought it would be easy, but it's not? And maybe you're, you're sweating or you're anxious and you're worried inside. You know, I really thought I could do this, but it seems like maybe I can't. Have you ever wanted to just simply give up? Yeah? And what do your parents say to you when maybe you say, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I want to give up. Do they say anything to you? Keep going. Keep going? Anybody else? Keep going? Try try harder? Put, put your back into it? Try a little bit, some of you? So I want to I'll talk about that about trying hard and not giving up. There's a special word for it in the Bible. It's called uh, endurance or steadfastness. And I want to read a verse to you from Psalm 57. The writer says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Now why do you suppose the writer in the Psalms would say, My heart is steadfast, meaning I will, I will endure, and I will sing praises to you. Is it hard to come to church and sing praises to God? It's not really physically hard. But it might be difficult sometimes. You might be thinking, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can really believe that this God who we just confessed together as a church family, I don't know that He's real. I don't know that He can really take care of the hard things in my life, the things that are difficult. And I don't know if I can truly give Him the, the trials that I'm going through and these things that I want to give up on. I just don't know. That's why the psalm writer says, my heart is steadfast. And one of the things that's beautiful about this psalm is he's not saying, I'm better than all those people who don't believe. He's saying, I know that the Lord has given me a heart to follow Him. And one of the beautiful things about what we believe as a church family in our tradition and our Reformed tradition, is that the Lord has set His name upon you as His covenant children. And so you can be reminded, dear children, that the Lord has set His name on you, and that even though there may be times when you think, I just want to quit. I don't know that believing in God is worth it. I don't know that He'll take care of me. You may say these words of this psalm back to the Lord. My heart is steadfast. I will praise You. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I know there are many things that hit us left and right, backwards and forwards throughout our days that cause us to wonder and to doubt. Lord, I pray for our covenant children and thank you for the promises that you have made to them, that you have set your name upon them. You have called them your children, your sons and daughters, that they belong to you. And Lord, I pray for them. I pray for their faith right now. I pray for their faith today, but I pray for their faith in the years to come, that you would remind them of your hand upon them and you naming them as your children, that they belong to you. I pray, Lord, in the difficult days and in the good days, that you would cause their hearts to turn to you, that they may say back to you these words from Psalm 57, 
My heart is steadfast. I will praise you. And Lord, I pray that you would put a song of praise on their lips, that you would cause them to be lights in this dark world, and that even from the mouths of our children, our covenant children, you would remind us of goodness and faithfulness and strength from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, please turn in your hymnal to page 834. We're going to recite together Psalm 134. It's on page 834. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
may be seated. For our pastoral prayer time uh, this month, we're going to be praying for uh, two of our missions ministries that we support. Uh, the first is our chaplain ministry, and that's um, PCA ministers who are serving men and women in the armed forces, sharing the gospel with them, being with them in moments of crisis uh, because of war zones or family uh, tragedies that happen where they may or may not be able to go and be with family, where they are able to share the hope of the gospel and speak freely about the Lord Jesus Christ. And also we're going to be praying for uh, Andrew Shepherd, who is one of our missionaries uh, serving in the Ukraine. And so we'll be praying for him and his ministry also this, this month. And did want to also pray for Steve Jessen and his wife Julie as they uh, wait for the results of a scan this week. And I also did want to mention, uh, Jimmy and I will be traveling to uh, General Assembly this week and would certainly covet your prayers for safe travels as we go uh, and come back and also for the very uh, serious and urgent business of our denomination. It's why we're going. This is not a vacation. It's a time of business and a time uh, of work that has to be done. So we certainly would appreciate your prayers. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we would be remiss not to acknowledge and to mention and to give voice to our appreciation that you hear us, that we may lift up our hearts to you as our Heavenly Father, as your people, your sons and your daughters, who bow joyfully beneath the wings of your providence in our lives. We thank you and we praise you that you are in control of everything, everything that happens to us throughout all of your creation, the universe is the work of your hands, and without your giving it life, we wouldn't have it. And so we thank you and praise you that you, the God of the universe, condescend to hear the prayers of your people, the petitions of our hearts. We do lift up to you, Steve and Julie. Lord, we pray for comfort for them, that you would bless the doctors who will be taking care of Steve this week. And as they await the results of this scan, Lord, we pray that you would answer their prayer that you would be glorified no matter what happens. No matter the result, Lord, we pray that you would use it for the sake of the spread of the name of Jesus. Lord, we also pray for Andrew in the Ukraine. He has many prayer requests for us to bring before your throne. And today we just pick, Lord, to pray for his provision, both financially and also spiritually. I pray for Andrew as a young man, Lord, that you would give him stamina, that he would believe you will provide his needs, and also that you would take care of him that his heart would be wholly dedicated to you, set apart from the cares of this world, from the concerns that are around him. And Lord, I pray that you would give him many divine appointments to be able to be alone with you in your word and that you would encourage his heart. And Lord, I do pray for our chaplain ministry also. Thank you, Lord, that we can participate in it by giving and supporting chaplains in our denomination. And Lord, we pray that you would give them this week a time of refreshing as they meet. And Lord, we pray that you would cause them to continue to remain steadfast and full of hope in the midst of a dark world and a dark place that they serve. Lord, we pray that you would give them the eyes and ears and the hands and feet of Jesus and they would be led by your Spirit to share the good news of the Gospel, especially with men and women who are in crisis. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we are here today. We know it's not a mistake. And I pray for our church family as we open your Word in just a moment that you would help us, Lord, where we are weak. Build us up where we lack faith. 
Cause us, Lord, to look to You even in spite of the difficulties we may be facing. Difficulties that we maybe couldn't resolve this last week and are still in front of us for this one. Lord, I pray that You would help us to be able to lay aside those cares now, to be able to look to You in Your Word. And may You, by Your Spirit, speak to us, Lord. We desperately need to hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. The book of Psalms, chapter 34. We're going to be reading this morning verses 17 through 22. The sermon is entitled, How God Delivers Us, Grace for When You Want to Quit. This is the word of the Lord. The righteous cry out. And the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today we're continuing in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago entitled, Being Still in the Busy. Being in the presence of your Savior. Being able to trust in Him, even in the midst of the the rush and the hurry and the busyness of life. That there is a place at Jesus' feet for you, even in moments when you think there's no time for this. We're finishing Psalm 34 today where David says that grace has abounded to him even in moments in life when he didn't know if he would make it. In the New Testament, Paul likes a phrase called run the race. It's his metaphor for life. In order to finish as a Christian in this life, you have to endure. You have to endure. And to endure in the Bible means to bear up, to have a firm will, and to press on. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The word endure reminds us that life is absolutely challenging. And maybe you don't need a reminder of that this morning. Maybe you need a reminder that there's hope in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties. The Bible calls these things for God's people afflictions. And I know that some of you know them very well. Unexpected obstacles, injuries, losses of people and relationships, doubts, inexplicable illness, and sometimes struggling to make sense of the various pieces of your life. It causes us anxiety and fear. It it tickles us in areas where we don't like to be touched. It causes worry. And David here says, this is how God delivers us. There is grace when you want to quit. In the Bible, endurance is not trying harder. It's praying for and relying by faith on the grace that God supplies and remaining faithful even in the midst of difficult circumstances. The Apostle Paul knew this well when he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ 
has laid hold of me. He said, I can't live in the past. I can't continue to be identified by the mistakes that I made. I have to press on where Christ is. And I know that He has laid hold of me, so I am seeking by His grace to lay hold of that for which He has put in front of me. Our enemy wants us to believe lies. Lies that it's better to quit than to endure. And that actually, relief is waiting for us if we will just simply exit. Take the detour out of the Christian life. Leave God alone. Stop trying to follow Him. The hardness in your life is coming because you want to follow Him. Just let go. Just let go. So how do you do it, dear believer, this morning? How do you bear up under the crushing weight of trouble and affliction in this world? Does God supply grace for these times in life? Is He really real? Can you truly count on Him? Is He there for His people? So this morning I'm going to look at this passage under three headings briefly. Number one, God is nearer than you believe. Number two, God is at work in your trials and your afflictions. And number three, God will conquer and undo all evil. So number one, God is nearer than you may believe. I believe our enemy wants us to believe this lie. Each one of us. And it hits us in different ways. We're all built differently. But I think this hits all of us right at the center of who we are. You are alone in this world. And you better figure it out. No one cares. All you have is your resources. If you don't do it, it's on you. The enemy loves for you to believe that. It separates you from friends and from family. It separates you from a vital connection in the church. And it separates you from a loving daily relationship with your Savior. God is nearer than you believe. God is present in your pain. Do you believe that this morning, dear believer, that God is present even in the midst of difficulty? Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you alone nor forsake you. In verse 15, we looked at this last week, but I think it's significant to go back and look at it as you think about pain in your life, that He sees you. In verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees you. You're not an interruption in His day. He calls His people the apple of His eye. He loves you. He is with you. In verse 15 and verse 17, He hears your cries. His ears are open to their cry at the end of verse 15. Verse 17, the righteous cries out and the Lord hears. He's open to their cries and He hears them. God is also stronger than your pain. And I realize that that may sound trite. And I don't mean it to be at all. I think it's one of the most difficult realities to grasp as a Christian. And particularly as one who is suffering. If you deal with significant ongoing pain for a while, you know what it is to have a constant friend even if no one is there with you. Your pain is. And so to say God is stronger than your pain, it's difficult to believe that the reality of God's presence in my life is weightier than what I am going through. It is difficult to believe that. But the Bible says that it's true, even in our sorrows. In verse 17, He says that He delivers you and delivers them out of all their troubles. Then in verse 17, I believe He's saying that the Lord stays with you in the midst of it. 
There's not a time that He leaves His people where He says, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I've just got to go take care of something. And then 15 turns to 30 minutes. And 30 minutes to an hour. And an hour turns into a day. That never happens with God. He is always with you. He doesn't set you aside. There's not another priority in His life. He is taking care of His people. He's constantly with you. And I want you to consider for a moment. Think about the Lord Jesus' life and what He did. He walked away from the crowds. He got away from the noise of the busy days. And He prayed to His Father. And I want to ask you, in the midst of your difficulties and trials and troubles, are you spending time with the Lord? Are you spending time with Him? Jesus knew that He was in the Father's presence when He prayed. He knew delight and love and union with Him. Perfect harmony among the Trinity. And it says that He poured His heart out and He lifted up His voice. And the Lord heard Him. One indication for you and I in the midst of difficulty. And the difficulty sometimes is in your mind. But one of the indications of our identity with Christ that we belong to Him is that we cry out to Him. We raise up our voices to Him who hears our prayers. We don't turn inward. We don't look to ourselves. We don't have a pity party. And we don't run away from Him in unbelief. We cry out to Him. It's a sign that you belong to Him. Crying out to God is not a sign of weakness. I believe it's a sign of immeasurable strength because of a gift the Lord has given you. Faith. I want to share a quote with you from Alistair Begg from a devotion that I read this week. Surely it cannot be that prayer was a necessity for Jesus and yet is simply optional for us. If anything, it must be the reverse. If the Son of God Himself needed to spend time concentrated on prayer to His Father, then how much more does the one who follows after Christ? Prayer is simply too great a privilege for any Christian to ignore and too great a necessity for us to neglect. I believe that's true. It is a privilege. And it is necessary for each of us. God is nearer than you believe. It's a promise for your prayers. Don't give up. Don't quit. The enemy wants you to. He's waiting for you to. He wants to see you fall. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is a promise for your prayers. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Even if you feel alone. If people have abandoned you. Jesus is with you. Psalm chapter 73, verse 28, the psalmist writes, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all His works. He says, I have no other hope and trust in this world. The nearness of God is my strength, and I rejoice in Him. So that's number one. God is nearer than you may believe. Number two, God is at work in your trials and afflictions. And I believe He's doing something very specific in them. He's conforming you to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, your and my head. He is conforming you to the image of Christ. The lie from the enemy would say that there's no sense to my struggles. Try to connect the dots. You're not going to be able to figure it out. This piece and that piece. and Where did this come from and why did they do that? The lie is it's all chaos. No one is in charge. And if God were good and strong, He wouldn't allow this in my life. He must not be one or both of those. Because he was, if He was good and strong, these things wouldn't have happened. He would have kept it away. If He was good, He would look out for things that take care of me, not things that tear me down. I believe this is one of the bedrock issues of Christian living. 
Is God sovereign over all of our lives or is He not? Is He over all of my joys and all my sorrows? It is easy at times to give praise and thanks to God when life is going well. But what about when the wheels are falling off or you lost a wheel miles ago? Years ago. This is what I thought life would be following God. And look at what my life has been. One heartache after another. One difficulty after another. And I trust Him. Is He good? Who is working in the midst of this? And there is a verse that Christians cling to, but it can be very easily used as a, a trite statement. When someone shares a difficulty with us, we sit back and say, well, I can see how it's big to you, but let me share a verse with you that kind of pastes over all of that. It'll take care of it. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's easy to say all things work together for good, as though that's a way to say, oh, well, you're in pain. You shouldn't be. All things work together for good. But He says what the good is. That He's conforming us to the image of His Son. So I want to ask you, who's in charge of the sorrows and pains in your life? Who is in charge of your troubles? I'm not simply talking about the things that you do that you receive the just consequences of bad decisions. I mean, who is directing and bringing everything into your life? As Reformed believers, we say that we believe in the providence of God, that the, the decrees of God and the sovereignty of God are solid and sure, and we smile with confidence when His blessing is poured out on us, and we say with true humility, He is the one who holds me fast. But can you also say that with confidence when the tears are dripping down your face, when life seems broken, when you are broken, can you say, he is the one who holds me fast. When your family is falling apart, when your finances are gone, can you say, He's the one who holds me fast? And can you be still in those moments? Everything in you cries out, do something. You've got to fix it. You've got to take some action. Fix life. Make this pain go away. Is God truly in charge of life? Is He in charge of those things? Would you say to your soul, Soul, I know that God is on the throne. And if this has come into my life, it's because He brought it. And if He brought it, there's a reason. And the reason is what I just read to you in Romans 8.29. That He predestined you before the foundation of the world to make you His son or His daughter to conform you to the image of Christ. That's the reason He's bringing this into your life. I want to share with you just a very brief quote, but it hit me right in the face this week. It's from uh, David Dixon's Geneva series commentary on the Psalms. He says, Though the Lord so break the natural confidence of His own, and so empty them by trouble of all conceit of their own worth, wisdom, or ability to deliver themselves out of trouble, that they may rely on God only, yet will He not withdraw Himself from them, nor suffer them to perish in discouragement. Though the righteous be the only men in the world whom God loveth best, Yet He will not only not exempt them from trouble, but will also exercise them with multitudes and varieties of troubles from His own hand immediately, from Satan's temptations, and from the malice of wicked men in the world. For thus the Lord conforms them to their Redeemer, to their heads. Try and train them up in faith and patient submission to God's will. 
He will teach them to pray and to wait upon Him and give proof of the sincerity of the grace that is in them. The godly are as oft delivered as they are troubled, either by removing the trouble or by giving strength and patience to bear it, or comfort under it and certain hope of the outgate of it in this life or the next. I find that to be extremely encouraging, but very much a rebuke of my own soul when I think that the way I know God's love is set on me is when my life is easy and not hard. When there are no reasons to have to pray in faith and wait. When there's no more resources to use in my own hands, I have to cling to Him. I ask you again, does God bring troubles into your life? Is there anything that passes into your life or to your families that are outside of His control? I tell you today, there are not. The confidence that a sovereign God governs for your good, all your pain and all your pleasure that you will ever experience is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. John Piper wrote that in a devotional called Solid Joys. He governs everything. And if you are kicking hard against something that's going on in your life, I just want to ask you, have you turned to the Lord and said, Lord, what are you teaching me in this? How are the rough edges being knocked off by this in my life? Because it's definitely here. And it hurts and the weight is heavy. I can't bear it. How am I to follow you in this? The Bible doesn't deny the realities of troubles in this life. There's no such thing as a Christian stoic where the response is, I just won't hurt. I won't have any pain. I'll just put a a solid layer on and so nothing can touch me. I'm the Teflon man or woman. There's no such thing as that. Look at what he says again in verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. So then all of us, one way or another, are riddled with problems. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And because the Bible doesn't deny the reality of afflictions in this life, because it speaks to it as a fact that we can know, each of us can know, then our thoughts and our beliefs and how we interpret life must bend to the Scriptures. They have to. That means your experience and what you think and how you feel can't be number one as a Christian. Because the Word of God dictates your life. The Word of God first, what He reveals about Himself. And yes, you may ask, can I trust a good God who would bring this into my life? Yes, you can say, why would He let life be this disappointing, this painful, this difficult, and for what purpose? Tim Keller, a PCA teaching elder, says, when we say, I can't believe in a God who would do whatever it is. I can't believe in a God who would do that. What we're often saying is we don't really want a God who's beyond our comprehension. If I can't understand Him in His ways, then I don't want Him. What an arrogant thing to say as a creature. So what is His purpose and His plan? I want to give you a few of them this morning. And I believe these are born out of the Scriptures, right out of Psalm 34 that we're reading. What is His purpose and His plan with this difficulty, this one? And and maybe it's on your mind. A current trial for you or your family. What is He doing? What is His plan? Number one, to train our hearts to trust Him and not ourselves. And it's the default for us because we're fallen. We're not hardwired to love God and to trust Him. Because of the fall, we're hardwired to us. Difficulty comes, we turn inward. We don't turn out. 
So that's one of His purposes. Number two, to conform you to the image of Christ. Absolutely. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. To fill you with hope for the life to come. That's number three. To fill you with hope for the life to come. Because this world is not all there is. And isn't it ironic that in the frenzied noise of the world and all the voices that you hear, day in and day out, they tell us this life is all there is. If you want it, whatever it is, go and get it. You should be able to have it. No one can tell you that there's not an option for this in your life. You know the road to happiness and peace. And and your own self-validation is the most important thing in the world, they say to us. And I believe this is why they hated Jesus. They hated this about Jesus. In John chapter 16, He tells the disciples very clearly. He was speaking about the Comforter who was to come, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, And when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I believe that's one of the reasons. But listen to, listen to something of a, a paradox of Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 21. Verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By patience you shall possess your souls. That seems like a bit of a paradox. They'll put some of you to death. And then later, not a hair of your head will be hurt. How is that possible? My hair is the least of my concern if I have a sentence of death, is it not? How can he say that? How can that be true? Because this life is not all there is. There is eternity. And each of us knows it in our hearts. He said that in our hearts on purpose so that we would know this life isn't all there is. But there is another reason to hope in this section. That God is at work in your trials and afflictions. In verse 20, it says, He guards all His bones. Not one of them is broken. Because God is in control of everything, He sets the limits to everything. These words are attributed to the Lord Jesus In John chapter 19, it says that men came to Jesus and they saw because He was already dead that they did not break His knees. They didn't break a bone. And it's right out of these words in Psalm 34. But these words are also attributed to Jesus from Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. I won't read it now, but it's about the Passover and the instructions that every Israelite was to follow and acknowledge and obey completely. That the Passover meal was not to be taken outside of the home, and neither were any of the bones of the Passover lamb to be broken. It was to point forward to the Lord Jesus. That those words in Exodus 12, and these words in Psalm 34, and those words in John were about the Lord Jesus. He sets the limits. He's in charge. No one's in charge of your life beyond Him. A good God governs every bit of your life. But it doesn't mean that as His people you won't suffer. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to share with you a little bit about some suffering believers. Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better promise. Excuse me, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and in all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And then he goes on to say words that many of us know. Because we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In the book of Isaiah, Jesus is called the suffering servant. Jesus lifted up His voice in the garden. He said, Father, if it be Your will, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. Jesus was a righteous sufferer, and He did suffer. And that's the way of His people. So if you today are walking through affliction and difficulty and trial and trouble that you cannot figure out, know that your Lord Jesus has walked that path before you and He walks with you in it and He is the one carrying you. Do you not know that? He's with you. Number three, God will conquer and undo all evil. The enemy would have us believe that nothing will change. That we're doomed with no hope in this world. That grace isn't lasting. It might be there for a moment, but it won't stay. And justice, or whatever it's called, and whatever it means, doesn't truly exist. And maybe it must not mean very much to belong to Jesus. Because when I look at my life experience, it's no better than the unbelievers that I know. And in fact, it seems that theirs is better. And so we're left wondering, the enemy insinuates... Belonging to Jesus must not mean much. We're all going to end up the same anyway. All of us are going to die. The enemy wants you to believe that. Don't believe that lie that your Father, your Heavenly Father, the good, righteous Judge of all the earth, who will do right, would treat His children no differently than the wicked. Don't miss out. We read it already, but don't miss out on the finality of these words in Psalm 34. It's an either-or situation. There's not a middle ground. There's not a gray area. For those of you that like things nice and tidy and neat, and either one or two, you get that in this passage. He says it very clearly. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The wicked don't get a second chance. They don't get a pass. The eternal reality of those who hate God is this. Evil shall slay them. They will be condemned. And it is the language of being before a judge and hearing the sentence, guilty, and you pay your penalty. We believe that the Bible teaches that those who do not love the Lord, who do not believe in Jesus by faith and surrender to Him, 
They will spend eternity in hell forever. And it will be a conscious, clear existence of separation from God and punishment for sin. And that is awful. But we believe it's true. The eternal reality of those who love God is also spoken very clearly in this passage. It says in verse 22 that the Lord redeems the souls of His servants and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. That's a promise. No condemnation. Jesus won that promise. We quote it from Romans 8.31. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He won that. It's yours. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. This is a promise for you. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Your enemy wants you to believe that there's no difference. God will treat the wicked and those who trust in Him the same way. And lastly, I want to just share a word of encouragement for your hearts. That your Father, your wise, good, just, and right Heavenly Father, is working now in your glory, in, for your glory, your good, in your afflictions. Second Corinthians chapter four. Don't lose heart. The outer body may be wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day by Him. Can you say with Job, "Though you slay me, yet I will trust you"? Let me finish with a quotation from Roman from Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. Verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is hope in the gospel that we desperately need. Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Do you have doubts? This is how God delivers us. There's grace for you when you want to quit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not. We wouldn't be able to read these promises and have any hope at all today if it were not for our blessed Savior. So we praise You and we thank You for salvation in Jesus Christ. And we thank You, Lord, that You have made Him known to us by the power of Your Spirit through the preaching of the Word. And we pray now as we respond to You by faith that You would help us in our weakness, help us in our trials, help us in our pain and our tears to trust You, that You are a good Heavenly Father and to believe the promises You have made. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word by singing hymn number 465, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord.
You may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for richly blessing us and for blessing this church. For many, many years you have been faithful to it. Lord, we pray today that we would be faithful to you by your Spirit. We thank you for the privilege that it is to give to you now a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. In our tithes and our offerings, Lord, we pray that you would see our hearts desiring to be obedient to you in worship. And we pray, Lord, that you would use these monies now for the sake of your kingdom, that they would be handled well, that many who are lost would hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this part in our worship service today. In Jesus' name, amen. benediction of our Lord from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may the Lord of peace himself 
Give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.